Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, with no voice, but I hear is where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. And my guest is taking a page out of history, in fact, an NBC page, which she once was. Shelley Herman is an Emmy-nominated show business veteran, a longtime host, writer, producer, and personality with decades of success on both sides of the camera. Now she's written a book about the beginning of her career, where she joined the famous NBC Studio Page program. The book is called My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. It's the story of Shelley, her fellow pages who became lifelong friends, and the array of celebrities, hangers-on, has-beens, and legends that found their way through the halls of NBC Burbank in the mid to late 70s. The book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And for everything about Shelly, go to MyPeacockTale.com, and you can follow her on Instagram and on Twitter. And Shelly, welcome to the show. That's quite an introduction. Thank I, you. You deserve it. I mean, after all, not everybody gets to be an NBC page and do all that other stuff. So we had to do it. I know why you wrote the book, but I ask it on behalf of our listeners and viewers. Why did you decide to write a book about your experiences as an NBC page, which was so different than it is today? And you talk about that, too. That you, you'd have to sign you know, non-disclosure agreements and all of that stuff. In those days, you just learned from a senior page about how to do things. But why did you decide to write the book? I hadn't really planned on writing a book because I thought only really smart people wrote books. <laughs> but um, it, it, it kind of came out of a, what I thought was a pandemic necessity. There there's, is a core group of us, like you mentioned in the intro, that, that have always stayed friends for the past 40 years. And once we were all shut up in our homes and got on Zoom, we started connecting with our friends who had moved out of the California area and I started hearing more stories and, and certain stories started connecting with other stories. And, and people kept saying, somebody should write this down. And, and I didn't know if we were going to survive the pandemic or not. So I figured I'll take a shot at it and wrote it down. And, and it turned out to be really, really wonderful. It, it is a love letter to my, my fellow pages. It must have been an interesting time. You, you, there's no way to recreate it, but you can certainly write it for the reader and get a sense of what it was like then. Uh, buildings are buildings, but it's the magic that happens inside. And sometimes it's a combination of the time and place and the people. And in your book, that's what it is. It's a time and place and people. It was Johnny Carson, who was host of the, of the Tonight Show. And it was an institution, the show. And it was magical. And you had all these A-list celebrities and personalities coming on the show on a regular basis. And here you are, young, you're in your 20s, a young page, and you get to be up close and personal with all these different people. Who was the one who you <laughs> were most impressed by in terms of all those different people you met? Wow. Boy, I'm running through like a Rolodex. Of in course. My brain right <laughs> um, I'm going to say one that people probably don't say very often. I got a chance to meet my hero, Harry Chapin, backstage at The Tonight Show. I would go to the Greek theater every summer to see Harry and, and I would sit up in the cheap seats. Like he always <laughs> said, course. you always count on cheap seats. <laughs> and, uh, I, I broke my leg and my, my dear friend, George Glovna, my page friend, he said, don't worry about it. He got us front row seats at the Greek theater. And in the front row, they have a big brass bar that separates the audience from the stage. So when I got there, I I sat there. I like I hiked my leg up, <laughs> and I and I stayed there for ninety minutes. And sure enough, Harry was at the Tonight Show the next day. So I said, "Quick, George, we have to go backstage and tell him how much we like the show." 
And before I could even open my mouth, Harry looked at my cast and said, you were at my show last night. <laughs> so I had I had a chance to talk to him. But, uh, no, there were people that, that came through The Tonight Show that I, I could never afford to go to see them in concert or or, or have these brushes with greatness with, with so many people. And, and again, the whole Tonight Show family themselves, it was just like such a cool environment to hang around. And they were at a certain level, even though they took their – they took their job seriously, but it was, it was a, as you say, a family sense, excuse my voice going, but at the same time, they were at such a high level in producing a nightly show, and you could see the polish on the show, and yet at the same time, it was a family feeling. Well, a lot of people thought Johnny just worked one hour a night, uh, which could, nothing could be further from the truth. He would start writing his monologue at his house in Malibu, and he'd get on the phone, and he would say to the writers, hey, there's... There's something about Nancy Reagan's psychic or uh, air traffic controllers or, you know, whatever was in the news that day. And he would work at home, read newspapers. He would drive into the studio about 1.50 in the afternoon. And, of course, our tours just happened to be lined up while he was there. <laughs> and uh, and he would usually say something to the, the groups gathered like, you know, the tour is a ripoff. Get your money back. <laughs> and it would make their day, of course, and make ours, too. It made the tour a lot easier after that. And he'd go upstairs. He would lay out the monologue the way he wanted it. And uh, in the book, you'll see that with his cue cards, he only had like bullet points. He mm -hmm. didn't have things verbatim. The way like somebody Bob Hope might have. You know, Bob Hope unfortunately had very failing eyesight toward the end, and and his cue cards were something you could see from you know the space shuttle. It was they were huge, so Johnny kind of just paraphrased them, and that's why it sounded so spontaneous and so natural. They would shoot the show straight through. The only time they would ever stop is if a guest got bumped. And what they would do is at the very end of the show, during a commercial break, Ed would go back in and what they call the billboard, which they would he would announce the guests mm -hmm. on the show and omit the person who had been bumped. So otherwise, it ran on time. Johnny was out the door at 710 at night, heading back to Malibu. And we should point out that he drove himself to work and back. He drove himself to work. Right. Ed McMahon had a limo. Of course. So. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, he was doing business, you know, in the back. He had of Star course. Search. He had Yeah, he had all, all kinds of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, he made use of the time. This will be a technical question, but you had the NBC pages, but you had the Tonight Show. So you had the Tonight Show staff and crew, and at the same time, you had the NBC pages. So you were really working for, you and your fellow pages working for NBC, not for the Tonight Show per se, correct? Oh, exactly. Because in addition to The Tonight Show, some of the regular shows there were Hollywood Squares, Chico and the Man, Sanford and Son, Midnight Special. A lot of different variety shows would come through there. In fact, when I first started, they had rebooted Laugh-In, and they were trying to do that over again. And that's where I, I had a chance to meet Robin Williams before he was famous for doing Mork and Mindy. I also I also met Andy Kaufman who was doing a Van Dyke and Company, a variety show that Dick Van Dyke was doing at the time. So I saw a lot of these people before they were super, super famous. And, and in the case with Andy Kaufman, he became a friend. Interesting. Were you able to, or was it a code that you couldn't grab a picture with a celebrity that you favored? Could you go up to them and say, hey, would you mind if I take, in these days it's called a selfie, but were you able to get pictures taken with various celebrities that you enjoyed? And was it crossing a line if you did that? 
Well, because of the fact cameras weren't readily available to us at that time, and also because of professionalism, we didn't take pictures. But I do have one in the book of 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 me with Jimmy Stewart, because his limo driver had a Polaroid, and he had said to me because I greeted Mr. Stewart when he came to the Tonight Show, and the, the limo driver said, "Could you take a picture of us together?" And certainly, I accommodated him. And then Jimmy Stewart said, uh, why don't you take a picture of me and the little lady? And and that's how I got that picture. <laughs> At least he volunteered it. You didn't have to request it in that sense. Exactly. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. The uh, Well, just for the, for the record, for our younger viewers and listeners, look up Rolodex because Shelly referenced it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Johnny Carson for and, some Yeah, for, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Mark Malkoff did a podcast on the Tonight Show. Were you a guest on that on that podcast? I was. I was very privileged to be one of his last guests. What a, what an intelligent young man! I I'm I'm so sorry he's not doing the show anymore. But they're in the archive. I encourage people to listen. Oh to yeah, it absolutely. After they listen to the rest of this. Yes, exactly correct. And yours will be featured in there. And he he uh, he's been on the show too. He was on uh, my show talking about the podcast, and he's working on a new book, which I'm not sure where it is at the stages of where it is now, but at some point we'll see it, I'm sure, and then it'll come back on. When you decided to write the book, did you check with your fellow pages for, not to verify information, but just to make sure you got your observations right? In other words, did you, once you finished, did you share it before it went to publication with a couple of fellow pages just to make sure you got the tone right, you got the setting right, you got the people right, etc.? One particular chapter I I most definitely did. I talk about Freddie Prinze, who starred on the sitcom Chico and the Man. And and for any of your fans who want to go to YouTube, look up the first appearance Freddie made on The Tonight Show. Because if you ever want to see a star being born, that's a moment. And that's huge. And a lot of people don't remember Freddie, but they should, especially for this clip. But Two of the women that I reconnected with on Zoom each had slightly different stories about their friendships with Freddie. One was a very pristine relationship. They played backgammon. They were, he went to dinner with she and her mother. Uh, the other one was a woman who wrote some comedy for Freddie and was with him the night he killed himself. Mm -hmm. And I was very sensitive to both of them about it because they hadn't really talked to each other about it. So I wrote each of them and said, a professional journalist would never share her story with the subject. Attach, please find the story that I'm sending to you right. for your approval. And I did run a few things by. I, I got one fact wrong about Tom Hansen wasn't slapped by Joey Bishop. It was Greg Mosco. But th that's the only thing that I think I got wrong. Hey, that's pretty good. These days, people get a lot of things wrong with their books because they don't do fact checking or check with sources. And I think you did the right thing because of the sensitivity of it in the case of Freddie Prince. When you were working with your fellow pages in that environment, and again, for people not really understanding the magic of it all, you had, these are major stars, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Cary Grant, you mentioned Jimmy Stewart, coming to NBC Burbank, where they're interacting with Johnny Carson, the king of late night at that time. So you're in your 20s and you're working there. I know I'm getting to the question. I'm just laying the predicate here. But you are working there and you're rubbing shoulders with all these celebrities and you're in that building at that time. Did you get a sense that it was magical? Oh, I absolutely did. And and NBC was going through a lot of turmoil at that point. 
And at first I thought, you know what? I, I missed it. I missed all the fun stuff. And, and as Brandon Tartikoff titled his autobiography, uh, what we experienced was the last great ride. And I think that says a lot for all of showbiz too, because it was a more naive time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now they've got, you know, metal detectors and search in your purses. And uh, Johnny Carson at one time had a, a big picture window that overlooked Alameda Avenue and they had to actually have him change offices because it was a security threat at a certain point. And he, he actually went down to an area that was our old, our old page lounge. It became uh, his office just so that he had a safe room in case something was going on. But we as the pages, we were, we were NBC's ambassadors. So it was up to us to be kind of the eyes and ears whenever there were crowds that were around on the tours, ushering shows, uh, even our interaction with the celebrities, we, we had so much fun. We would do these limo runs to the airport and pick celebrities up and take them to, to wonderful events NBC was holding. I mean, there's a wonderful story in the book about how three of the pages had Gilda Radner for four hours. They, they kind of, they kind of kidnapped her because she, she was done with her press tour and she said, I've never been to Hollywood. Show it to me. So in four hours, they ran all over Hollywood with Gilda only to run out of gas partway. <laughs> their trip um, amazing it's a wonderful story yeah no that, that definitely is when you were as i keep using the term rubbing shoulders with because you were you were you were the protectors of the celebrities they knew that they could trust you and you would run not you personally but you people pages would do things run errands that were needed within the building and in the in the case of gilda radner as you mentioned take her on a more extended tour of los angeles until the gas ran out but aside from that you have a chance to connect in an unusual way. I, 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 and with your background, you'll understand what I'm trying to get to if I can ever get to it, which is when you're on a movie or television set and you have an intense experience during the time of the filming, whether you're cast and or crew. And for that time, you're heavily involved with each other, working, filming, taping, especially if you're on a set or a location outside of Hollywood. But there's an intense bonding that goes on but for a short period of time, relatively short period of time, if it's TV or in movies, several months. But in your case, it was even a shorter period of time because you are bonding with a celebrity for a couple of hours. And you were, in a way, virtually best friends or hypothetically best friends during that time because you were protecting them and, and doing things for them and escorting them and making sure they got to where they get, needed to go. So I guess what I'm trying to get to, this is a long question, Shelley, I apologize, but my brain works that way sometimes. But you had that you had that engagement for a couple of hours, and then it was gone. And then the next night, you're with a new celebrity, or afternoon when they tape, or did a live, live to tape. You would have a new celebrity to be involved with. So how did all of that work? And, and how did also, did it work with, again, with that, the, the bifurcation between NBC and The Tonight Show. So if you're a page, you're also doing tours, but you're also interacting with the guests. So can you explain the mechanics of that? Well, as far as having any long-term friendships or relationships that came out of being in contact with the celebrities, I became really good friends with Andy Kaufman, just as a friend, platonic relationship. And it was funny because he had told me, Oh, they want me to do this sitcom and I, I don't want to do a sitcom. I'm a performance artist, but my manager says it's good exposure. And that turned out to be the show Taxi. And then 
flash forward several decades later, I married one of the cast members from Taxi, uh, <laughs> who was on the first season, Randall Carver, who played John Burns. Uh, there's a woman, Susan Stafford, who was the woman who turned the letters on Wheel of Fortune. Yes, she lives in Las Vegas Atlanta. now. Yes, and, and and Susan and I are still very much in touch with one another and have remained friends. So there there, there have been many enduring friendships, or, or sometimes um, I, w- I would even say with like Tom Smothers, I, 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 I run into him every once in a while, and we have a little secret code that we say to one another that harkens <laughs> back to that era. Uh, again, platonic. I, I was, no, understood, you know, understood. I have a few es- a few escapades in the book, but um, <laughs> but uh, none of the people I've mentioned are involved. So I... um, in interacting with them, I, a lot of times we protected them. Uh, one time I had a limo run where somebody wanted to stop by Jack's house on Mulholland. Ah, that Jack Nicholson, yes. Well, you said his name. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, because he wanted to get a little bit of uh, illegal drugs. And he was then going to get on an airplane. And I yes. thought, uh-uh, not, not on my watch. He's not going to get busted. So um, I said, no, we don't have time. We can't do it. Um, but conversely, there would be uh, some of the pages on New Year's Day would have to escort celebrities to the Rose Parade. And maybe the celebrities had partied a little bit too much the night before. And we'd protect them. And then in another instance, uh, to the Rose uh, the Rose Bowl Lucy Arnaz came to the, the aid of, of one of the pages once because my friend Jeff was supposed to sit at a table and save this table for Robert Wright, who was the president of NBC at the mm-hmm. time. And sure enough, Zsa Zsa Gabor plopped herself down at the table and just refused to move. And Jeff is like, you know, please, Miss Gabor, it's my job. I'm supposed to save this table. And, and Lucy Arnaz came by and she said, listen to what he's saying get up jaja and jaja said to lucy arnes to f off and she got off the table left the table and left so so we helped them they helped us sure what was the the difference i guess between the the, the segment producers and the pages in terms of the guests so each or the, i should say the talent bookers and the pages yeah because the talent bookers from my understanding listening to mark's podcast and all the different guests the, the talent bookers or coordinators they let's say, for example, that they they book Joe Blow. So Joe Blow, they're responsible for Joe Blow, and they go to check him in the green room, bring him out to the stage. You know, he does the show and all that. Where did that difference between the page and the talent booker work? How did that? Did you did the two of you well, interact once, in once that we, sense? Once we got the talent to the Tonight Show, um, maybe we'd carry their garment bags for them, or if they had props or something, we would help them. But once they got down the hallway between stages one and three, that's when the talent coordinators would take over the responsibilities. And they had the page staff just usher the shows. But the Tonight Show staff themselves, interestingly, and I didn't know this until I had talked to Fred DeCordova's assistant, who had been a secretary on the page staff, Billy, they had trouble with Bill Cosby even back then. I I got upset as a page because it seemed like only the male pages were being assigned to work the Tonight Show when Bill Cosby was hosting. And I balled up my fists and I went in and there and they said, well, that's the way Mr. Cosby uh, has requested. Okay, so that's what the talent wants. So then Billy was telling me what they would do is, is Cosby would they'd get his dressing room set up for him. They'd send somebody from the Tonight Show office to make sure that he had whatever beverages, what, you know, whatever he needed that he was comfortable 
And then some of the women were saying that they were uncomfortable being around Bill Cosby and that he wasn't always wearing pants when he was in there. He was in his underwear, you know, and uh, then they started sending the guys down from the Tonight Show staff. And even they said they didn't feel comfortable in that mm-hmm. environment. So I never interacted with them that way, but the Tonight Show staff did. Yeah, it's always a challenge. Certain personalities are so strong and at the same time can be having a problem. And you you guys are at a certain level at NBC. You can't really deal with a lot of that stuff or you're not yeah. supposed to be able to do a lot of stuff. What was the most – you mentioned earlier, you mentioned Harry Chapin. Why, why is he your hero? With all the celebrities you've interacted with and personalities you've dealt with, working as a page on the Tonight Show, what was about Harry Chapin that made you your his made you made him your hero? I'll get this out yet. Made him your hero. Harry Chapin continues to be my hero. He walks the walk. He is a genuine person. He he cared about things before a lot of other people did you know he still has the why hunger camp campaign that that, uh his family tom chapin still spearheads that that campaign and they still raise money for that and 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 do concerts around the country where people bring canned goods and stuff um there there was nothing there was no agenda he he well i'll take it back there was an agenda he wanted everybody to be treated equally and fair and i always tended to root for the underdog growing up so I, I, and, and he has a motto, which you went in doubt, do something. And, <laughs> and that's like that. why, that's why his legacy continues to remain as strong as it does. When you were finished writing the book and it went to the printer, did you suddenly say to yourself, Oh, I forgot to include one other story. I think I know what you're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote the book. I actually had a few reservations about some of the things I'd put in there. And I started feeling like, oh, is this just some vanity project? And am am I just a fool for wanting to write a book? And then something happened that I called the publisher and I said, stop the presses. I have to add this thing because the book starts off with me taking a trip to London I had $450 to my name. I took a trip to London and on the way home while watching an Alfred Hitchcock movie, somebody died on the plane Hmm. and there was a whole rigmarole going on, which I detail in in the book. But at that very moment, I had this epiphany where I thought, I'm not going to wait till I'm a senior citizen to enjoy myself. I'm going to have a good time my whole life. And my biggest life lesson came from a dead guy that I'll never know. So the week, the weekend of the Queen's funeral, I'm at a yard sale. I start chatting up some guy that was there. Oh, isn't it too bad? Yes, I was there the 25th Jubilee. So was I. Long story short, he was one of the doctors that was on my plane that was trying to revive that guy. Amazing. And much like Harry Chapin, who sings about all my life's a circle. The book had come full circle for me. And I just kind of had one of those woo-woo feelings of, okay, I'm supposed to do this book. Everything's going to be okay. And that kind of settled me down to be able to enjoy this wonderful experience of, of meeting people like you and, and, and talking about the book. 
I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of my friends. Is there one thing in the book that you regret putting in, but you don't have to necessarily reveal what it is, but is there one thing that once it went to the printer, you said, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that one? I regret that I can't name the real person who Jake is. It's a very tender story, <laughs> but I didn't want his family to get the shrapnel from the story. Mm-hmm. He's a louse, but I didn't think that the family needed to know about that. They probably know about it anyway, but it did. I didn't need to publicize it. Um, so that would be my only regret. As honest as I was about everything else, I had to change his name. But you did it for, in your mind, a good cause. So I don't know if that's regret or not, necessarily. Well, I, I did it because I think it's a cautionary tale for a lot of young women. Okay. But no, I don't regret anything in the book. I'm not embarrassed. I, I, I'm kind of... Um, proud of myself in some instances. How long did it take you to write the book once you got going after you had all those Zoom meetings with fellow pages from all over the place and you started sitting down and writing the book? How long did it take you? Six months? Uh, um, It was about, but but from beginning to edit, probably about two and a half years. And I'll I'll tell you for anyone aspiring to be a, a writer, I joined a writer's group and it helped tremendously. And again, we were on Zoom for most of it. Mm-hmm. And being able to get a little bit of feedback as I was doing it and not just being so isolated. Right. Uh, it, that really helped a lot too. And I, and I, I wanted to time it for when it's been with the summer of 2023, because it happens to coincide with the 90th anniversary of the NBC page program. And good it's timing. also my high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of thought those were two good milestones. To, so I Absolutely. had that goal to reach. Before I let you go, and we have about a minute left, what's uh, what are you doing these days? Now that you've had a chance to rest a little bit, I mean, I mean, you're out talking about the book, but what else are you doing these days? It's it's my profound hope that I will beat the bushes and find some producer who wants to turn this into a, a TV series because there's so many stories. It's kind of like Sex in the City meets Mad Men, um, <laughs> like kind of set in the '70s, right? And it's it's a female driven story. It's not it's not the guy's having fun only. It's me having fun. And rightly so. And that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Shelley Herman, an Emmy-nominated show business veteran, longtime host, writer, personality, decades of success on both sides of the camera. Her new book is My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And for everything about Shelley, that's with an E, go to mypeacocktale.com. And you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter. And Shelley, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.